We are in Yavamos Memeches on Abayz 48b4 in the Art Scroll Gemara. We have a few more lines left till the end of this Gemara, and this Gemara will really conclude our entire discussion on a non-Jewish slave, but also the discussion, it will we'll come back to the discussion about converts in general. And we will begin next week with a new Mishnah, a new topic with a new Mishnah. So a little bit more on the non-Jewish slave. We mentioned in the last recording uh, that Rabbi Kiva is of the opinion that uh, if the non-Jewish slave refuses to have a brismila, refuses to have a circumcision, and according to some, it's not just a circumcision, but refuses to uh, have go through this process of a conversion, a partial conversion in the beginning, a complete, a complete conversion once they are free, if they refuse to do this, Rabbi Kiva says that you are not allowed to keep them as a slave. Uh, and this shows the idea that it's not that we actually force them ultimately, uh, we see from this Gemara that ultimately it is based on their own decision. And if they refuse, so then we can no longer keep them, according to Rabbi Kiva, as, uh, as a slave. Others disagreed, but that was the position of Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva gave a few examples where we would uh, keep them as a slave. And that's what we discussed in the last recording. So the Gemara has a few more lines on that particular topic. Yasser Rabbi Chinia Bar Papi Rabbi Ami Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha Ikloi Di Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha Rabbi Chinia Bar Papi Rabbi Ami Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha were sitting on the porch of Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha. Yasser Rabbi and they were discussing the following incident. The following took place in Israel. Ir Achas Ha'isabar Israel. There was a certain city in the land of Israel. Velo Ratu Avadel Lamol, and the non-Jewish slaves did not want to go through a circumcision. So what do they do? Vegilgul Imam Achim Asar Chodesh. They had. 12 months, they were basically trying to figure out for 12 months whether or not uh, these non-Jewish slaves would go through the circumcision. In the end, they did not. In the end, they sold them back to their non-Jewish masters. So here too, they asked the following question, come on, who does this this story, who does this follow? Does it follow Rabbi Kiva? Does it not follow Rabbi Kiva? So the Gemara says, this follows the following b'risa, it's like the following brisa, the brisa that we had earlier. The brisa that we had earlier that says that the truth is is that you have twelve months to figure out whether or not they are going to go through circumcision. They'll have a bris. They'll have a, a conversion. This process of a conversion, and you have twelve months to figure out figure it out. And if they do not go through it, so then you have to return the non-Jewish slave back to his original non-Jewish owner. However, there is a different opinion. There's another opinion that says that this might be true outside the land of Israel, but inside of Israel itself? No, inside of Israel itself, you cannot have the non-Jew uh, as a slave if they did not go through circumcision. This is the position of Rabbi Shem ben Elazar. Keep in mind, this story took place in Israel itself. So the first opinion clearly holds that even in Israel, you are allowed to keep the non-Jewish slave as a slave, even though they did not have a bris. However, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Omar, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, no, we cannot keep a non-Jewish slave uh, for a Jewish family in the land of Israel. Why is Israel different? The reason is, is because if this non-Jewish slave did not go, did not have a circumcision, he refuses to have a circumcision, that means for 12 months, He's essentially viewed as a complete non-Jew. He's living with a Jewish family, and that causes many potential problems. Because the non-Jewish slave, if he did not go through a circumcision, he is viewed as a non-Jew with regards to the status of the laws of purity and impurity, Tuma and Tyra. And if he were to touch 
certain foods, let's like truma, if they were to touch truma, uh, which is food which is designated for a kohen, he would make the just by touching it because he's he's deemed as somebody who is uh, tame, as somebody who is uh, impure by touching the truma that automatically makes the truma impure. Uh, and disqualifies the truma. A person would not be able to eat the truma. That causes a serious problem. Now, the truth is, is that the same thing would apply outside the land of Israel. However, inside the land of Israel, it is a it, it impacts the truma, which is truma on a biblical level. Outside the land of Israel, it is a uh, truma on a rabbinic level. Uh, but inside the land of Israel, it's on a biblical level, and it will cause the truma to become invalid. Uh, that biblical truma. Uh, to become invalid. So Rabbi Shimon says, well, maybe technically you could have this 12-month period of trying to figure out whether or not this non-Jewish slave will convert. That's only outside of Israel. Inside of Israel, there are other factors to consider. And that factor to consider is that if he's living with a Jewish family, we are afraid that he'll end up touching different foods and make it unfit for consumption. He adds another point. If it's also uh, within a city which is not in the land of Israel itself, but it's close to the border, it's very close to the border of the land of Israel, we have another concern. This non-Jew doesn't want to convert. So, you cannot keep him. Why? He's living amongst the Jews. He's living, again, this is a completely Jewish family. It's a Jewish community, Jewish city. And he's hearing everything. He's right by the border. We are concerned that this will be a security threat. If he doesn't want to convert, this will be a security threat. Uh, he will hear what's going on. He will tell the enemy about what is happening. He will essentially be a spy. And out of that concern, we say, you know what? If they're not willing to convert, uh, so then we will not give this. Uh, we'll have we will not have this opportunity of twelve months to figure out whether or not we could convince the slave to convert. So those are two very interesting uh, cases of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, where he says that we will not apply this rule. It's clear. Uh, at least with regards to in Eretz Israel, that the first opinion said that, no, it doesn't make a difference. Even in the land of Israel itself, you could still uh, keep this non-Jewish slave, at least for uh, for the first uh, for the first 12 months. Okay, that is the entire discussion about a non-Jewish slave. The Gemara now returns briefly to the discussion about converts. Very interesting question. The Gemara will have one question and really four different answers to this one question. Tanya, it is taught in a brisa. Rabbi Hanina ben Oshar Rav Gamliel, Omer, Rabbi the son of Rav Gamliel, said, "Bipnei ma gerum bezman azem unin v'yisurim banalein." A very strange question. He asked the following question: Why is it true that in our day and age today, i.e., when the when the base of Mikdash is not uh, standing, why is it that gerum converts are afflicted? They have hard times. It's very difficult for them. Now, why is it specifically with regards to converts? So this is a very important point by the Ritva. Uh, the point is that I understand, the Ritva says, no, I understand why Jews, Jews have it difficult in the exile because they are not judged purely based on their own deeds, but they have a history. They come from prior generations and prior, it comes with a merit, a zuchos, but it also comes with um, the fact that our ancestors, they committed various serious sins like the Chet Raglim and the Chet Egel, the sin of the spies, the sin of the golden calf. Until today, we are still punished for their sins. So I understand why a Jew, a Jew has goes through very difficult times in the exile. But why is it that the non-Jew who converts, somebody who's a convert and is, doesn't have such ancestors, why are they punished? Why do they have a difficult time? So a few different answers. Uh, so again, 
the question is that Jews also go through a difficult time. But why do non-Jews have to go, who convert, why do converts have to go through such a difficult time? Four different answers. Answer number one. Also, all, all answers are very interesting. Answer number one is that because they did not fulfill, when they were non-Jews, the seven Noahide laws. Because they did not fulfill the seven Noahide laws, therefore they're being punished now. The question on this before we get to even the Gemara's question, is, okay, so then why weren't they punished uh, and have a difficult, hard time, hard life as non-Jews? So the answer to that is that as non-Jews, uh, Hashem will hold off on their punishment until the next world, until Olam Haba, until the next world, the world to come. Uh, but once they become Jewish, so once they become Jewish, this is a general idea that, that Hashem sometimes makes it more difficult for us in this world so that Hashem doesn't have to punish us in the eternal world. So that it's easier for us in the internal world. So as a, a non-Jew and he didn't fulfill, he or she did not fulfill the seven Noachite laws. So they won't be punished now because they'll be punished in the eternal world, the next world. But now that they convert and Hashem wants to give them as much reward as possible. So he'll punish them for whatever sins they need to be punished for now. They'll be punished now so that they could have a greater reward in the world to come, in the eternal world. That is answer number one. Answer number two, Rabbi Yossi Omer. He says, first of all, he asks, what are you talking about? He says, why are they punished for what they did before they converted? We know there's a principle. We've had this principle earlier in Yevamos that a person who converts, it's like they're a newborn child. They're new. They're not even related, halachically related to their parents. They are a newborn child. So why is it? Uh, so he says that they cannot be punished. They are not punished for the actions that they committed before the conversion. So obviously the first opinion says they are punished for their actions from before the conversion, even though the first opinion still agrees to the principle that they're like a newborn child. So what exactly are they arguing about? So there's a very interesting explanation. One explanation is that according to the first opinion, it's true. You're no longer related to your family. So it's as if you were alive, and it's as if you died and then you were born again. But even if you're born again, you're still held responsible. You're the same neshama, the same soul. You're still responsible for the actions you committed in your previous life. You might not be related to those people, but you're still responsible for those actions. And since you committed prohibitions and you committed sin, you, you violated, uh, you committed sins uh, as a non-Jew. So therefore, you will be punished. The second opinion says no. It's not like you were reborn again it's like it was a complete uh, it's a new it's a new soul so to speak it's it's completely different and you are not even held responsible for the sins that you committed even before the conversion very interesting dispute between the first and second opinions Rabiosi says they cannot be held responsible for the actions they committed as a non-jew so now that they converted so in the end of the day why are they why do they have punishments i understand why jews are punished and they are afflicted and it's difficult for them in, in the exile but what about converts? They, they aren't punished for the sins of their ancestors. So the Gemara answers, Answer number two is because uh, they do not fulfill the mitzvos as detailed as other Jews. Uh, and this is an idea that we had earlier, that uh, we have to, it's very, it, we're hesitant to convert uh, non-Jews because they may not be as meticulous in the laws. They may not know the laws. They weren't born with it. They didn't grow up with it. It doesn't become, it's not, natural for them and so therefore there's a concern that they are really not fulfilling it properly according to all of the details so that is answer number two answer number three all these are interesting answers Rabbi Lazar says that they, the reason why they get punished is because they do not serve God out of love which is the highest level seemingly but out of fear 
They do it out of fear. What type of fear? Fear of punishment and fear of Gehenna, of, of hell. And that's why they, they fulfill the commandments. And so therefore they're punished for that because that's not really the highest level. The highest level is to serve Hashem, to serve God out of love, out of this strong desire to get connected to Hashem. And so that's why they are punished. Now it's interesting, Tosos, the, one of the classic commentators on the page, he notes that it's really uh, not so simple. What is the highest, he brings different sources, what is the highest form of service to God? Is it out of love? Is it out of fear? So it's not so clear. So perhaps to some explain that fear, there's different types of fear. There's really fear and there's awe. Fear is fear of punishment. And that's not as high. But awe, to have the sense of awe and really uh, wonderment and astonishment of, of God and God's world, so that, that sense of awe is really the highest, could be the highest of all levels. Okay, that is answer number three. Answer number four, also very interesting. Acherim Omrim, others say, The reason why they are punished is because they delayed. They delayed themselves from entering under, under from becoming Jewish. They had some sort of delay from becoming Jewish. And we'll elaborate on this in a second. But just the proof to this idea, Amr Rabbi Avav, Rabbi Chanina, my Kra, what's the verse that uh, that proves this idea? This is from Rus. This is we've had other other proofs from Rus about conversion. It says, Yishalem Hashem, Yishalem Hashem Paalech Ushimas Kurtech Shlema Mim Hashem Alokei Yisrael Asher Basal Lachasos VeGomer. May Hashem reward your deed and a payment for be full from Hashem, whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And this is the bracha uh, that from Boaz gave unto Rus. And it says, you have come. It says specifically, you have come to show that, ha- that Rus converted very quickly. She did not delay in her conversion. And so this fourth explanation is saying that uh, converts were punished because they delayed. What does it mean they delayed? They didn't have to convert to begin with. What exactly is this explanation? Uh, so there's a beautiful idea. And we might have mentioned this idea earlier. The, the Gemara says elsewhere, that the converts, their souls were also at Har Sinai. Their souls were on Mount Sinai, and they too experienced the receiving of the Torah. Because even though they weren't born Jewish, but once we know uh, that they converted, they converted sincerely, and they really are interested in Judaism and want to get closer to God, so then their soul really was the entire time, from the very beginning, a soul that was deeply connected to the Jewish people and to Hashem. And that's why we also use the word Gershin is Geir, that we always refer to him as a convert even before he converts, because his soul is one of a convert even before the conversion itself. And so therefore, uh, they should run to convert because their soul is so naturally connected to the Jewish people. Another idea could also be that once a person makes up their mind to convert, so then they shouldn't delay. Sometimes they delay by saying, you know what, I know I'm going to be converting in a, in a certain amount of time, in a few weeks, whatever it is, let me get in all the things that I'm not allowed to do as a Jew. Let me get that in very quickly uh, because I only have a certain amount of weeks till I could have a cheeseburger, till I could do certain things. And so that's the wrong attitude. That itself is the wrong attitude, that it's all about getting closer to Hashem. And so therefore they should have in mind that they want to convert as quickly as possible to fulfill more mitzvos and get closer to Hashem, but to have the attitude of, you know what, uh, now is my time to not keep all of the 613 mitzvahs until I convert to that is itself is the wrong attitude. So these are the four different answers, four very interesting different answers as to why not only are Jews punished, we understand why Jews are punished because they're punished not just for their own sins but also for the sins of their ancestors, but why are converts punished? 
So we gave four different answers. Again, just to review those answers. Answer number one is because they're punished. We want to make sure they're punished in this world now that they converted for the uh, for their sins that they committed as a non-Jew with regard to the seven Noahide laws. Uh, if they just remain non-Jews, so then they would be punished in the world to come, in the eternal world. But now that they're Jewish, they'll be punished in this world so that they have more reward in the world to come. Answer number two is because they are not so exact and precise in the keeping of the mitzvahs because they weren't born with it. It's not natural for them. Answer number three is that they serve God not out of love, but out of fear of punishment. And answer number four is that they delayed in becoming a convert. Their soul is so much connected. Their neshama is connected to the Jewish people that they should have converted earlier. And they shouldn't have this mindset of let me let me go ahead and commit a few sins before, not sins, but uh, not fulfill the Torah. They're not commanded yet, but uh, have this attitude that I should delay uh, the conversion just so that I could do certain things which I'm not allowed to do once I receive the Torah. So those are four different answers as to why converts are also punished in uh, the exile. We understand why Jews are, but why converts are also punished in the exile. So this completes this Gemara, and we'll begin a new Mishnah in the next uh, recording.